I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. to the What Ball Is podcast. Um, we are on the Sports Social Network. Um, you can catch all of our podcasts on there, uh, all of our archives, uh, but don't listen to the first five or six because we're pretty crap. Our <laughs> man Watterson, anyway, are joined, as always, by Gary Clark. How are we doing, Gary? I'm doing very well, Mr. Watterson. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I think for the first time in 2023, I've had a week where I haven't been ill, so I'm all right <laughs> now. Um, so fingers crossed, um, all all those bugs are all gone. Um, and we can kind of look forward to being illness free. Uh, but we do have our very first guest of 2023. We're going to talk Chelsea. Um, the well, what what's going on at Chelsea? Really, not having a great season and. Not going to agree. We didn't have a great 2022 either. So the join us Villa is from that Chelsea pod. We've got Nick Williams. Nick, how's it going? I'm not bad, lads. Pleased to be on, and uh, yeah, I would say looking forward to talking things Chelsea, but not really. But we won't have a weekend, so the mood's a little bit better. That's it. That's it. It just takes one win, doesn't it? I mean, like it, it hasn't been great. But we'll, what we'll what we'll start we'll start off with. Obviously, you know, the whole ownership um, kind of thing all changed last year. Obviously, with with what happened with Roman Abramovich, we don't really want to delve too much into his goings on. Um, you know, funding a war and everything like that, but. It, it ended up where Chelsea were quite close to, you know, going out of business, wasn't it? Like, you know, the, the fans weren't allowed in, you know, and in the season ticket order, so they weren't allowed to have any revenue. There was no transfers. And then, you know, Todd Bordy comes in and, and buys the club. So, you know, describe that kind of period for, for being a fan, not knowing what was going to happen. Yeah, it was it was quite a mentally draining period, to be honest, as the football on the pitch kind of just sort of became second fiddle, really. Um, it was just, you know, sort of just relentless, for, relentless, I guess, negativity from, from outside, uh, from a lot of voices outside. Um, yeah, it was quite, quite an interesting period. I was never worried about going out of business because I don't think Chelsea, that was ever really a situation that, that was likely to happen, but it was obviously, you know, uncertainty because it's a big, big change. And as I said, it was... It was a shame that uh, the fans, that uh, sections of fans couldn't go to home games. It was really weird because they could purchase tickets to away games, etc. But for home games, they were like, no. So it was really weird where they decided, you know, to, to enforce rules. But say that's just something completely separate and it's gone. But yeah, it was just relief. I think we kind of just, from that, when this sort of started around February, and those last few months of the season, we're kind of just wanting the season to end, get the new ownership in, and then just try and go again, really. Yeah, and then, and obviously, um, Gary, I'll, I'll ask you this because we're used to having ownership and strange goings on. It's it's not nice, is it? You know, being a fan and not knowing where the club where the club's going forward. 
100%. I mean, we were in that boat towards the, the back end of Ella Short's tenure and then obviously Donald and Mefe and that, that didn't really end well. I mean, granted, still got shares in the club. But, you know, like, even before the Abramovich era, you know, Chelsea had those those issues as well. Um, it isn't great. You know, it's not great for the fans. It's not great for, you know, the people who go and spend the money every week to watch the, the club that they love. Um, and really, you know, it really makes you feel really sad about, you know, where your club would go. Again, citing us there, we went down two divisions um, as Sunderland fans and for your morale and, you know, your belief in the club, it, it's not great. But I, I remember at a point where Chelsea were, you know, pretty much skint and the, the best signing they got in was Enrique De Lucas on a free transfer um, years and years ago. Then the Abramovich era came in, you know, that all the, the, the high-end money, um, things are good. But, you know, Todd Bowley's came in and, he, and he's took over the club and... I think it's hard to really say what 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 he's done yet. Uh, besides, spend a lot of money and as if he's playing football manager. Um, but that's that's where you know we'll have this conversation uh, with, with Nick in regards to the ownership with with Todd Bowley. But it's one of those it's one of those things, isn't it? Um, you just can't, you just want to see your club do well at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and, and Nick going into the summer, you know, obviously, you know, a brand new beginnings, you know, we've mentioned that these top bodies come in, you know, a massive, massive deal, and I think it was 4.5 billion, wasn't it? So, you know, already then you, you're kind of thinking this is Chelsea back into, you know, the the top four, the, the top five or whatever, but it does take a while for ideas to bed in, but talk about the summer, you know, the summer business was, were you happy with that? Obviously, Ryan Sterling's come in and, and, and you know, plays along that ilk, so it, it didn't seem to be a bad transfer window but um a little bit lagging up front i feel i mean the names chelsea got in i don't think that people were probably too too upset sterling you know we all know how good he is how great a premier league career he's had at manchester city given chelsea problems up front i think you know that was kind of an upgrade on what we had i don't think there any issues that marco corella was coming off the back of a really good debut season at brighton chelsea obviously had to deal with ben chilwell's He's sort of coming back from his long-term injury uh, and selling Marcus Alonso. So, again, that kind of made sense. Um, I'm trying to think of this one. Kaladu Koulibaly, again, like, was sort of kind of being deemed as, I guess, a Tony Rudiger replacement. And, yeah, that one has been an absolute stinker, um, to put it to put it mildly. Like, just, yeah, not performed to the expectations a lot of us thought. And then signed Wesley, uh, signed Wesley Fofana from Leicester late on in the window, pay 70 million. You're going to pay stupid money. When your clubs know you're desperate and you leave it that late, and he's played a few games and been injured, so it's really hard to assess. But it's, it's a, it was a tough one because with the time he came into the with Bodie coming into the club, it was not ideal. Chelsea, you know, probably just even just been like a few weeks behind where they'd have wanted to be, and it just sort of has a knock on effect. And he's kind of damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, because he's got to show ambition. You know, he's he's got bought the club, wants to be seen sort of showing ambition, and he you know showed ambition in the summer making those moves. But obviously, there was not the structure in place that we sort of been slowly putting together over the last month or so now. So it, it you know, it did look really scattergun. I think nothing highlighted that more than signing Pierre and Aubameyang for Thomas Tuchel, only for Thomas Tuchel to be gone about a week later. <laughs> Pierre and Aubameyang's Chelsea future to just be just massively up in the air at the moment, as well as obviously signing Dennis Zakaria on loan for on sort of on deadline day, and then him not featuring till till December, and then all of a sudden, where is this guy? He's, and he's pretty good and now he's injured so yeah it was just a bit of a it was a crazy summer and at the time it probably thought you know it, it's decent it was a decent-ish window I think you know but obviously as we've seen a lot of those players none of those players have really lived up to expectations and it's just looked like a really really bad transfer window yeah and, and, a, and a big a big um, exit was was Lukaku obviously you know has gone out on loan uh, you know gone back to Italy obviously uh, hasn't really Indeed, himself with the Chelsea fearful, you know, having that interview saying his heart was still in in Milan, but still a striker who who probably could have, you know, got 10, 15 goals this far this season. And what what's the thoughts on Lukaku, you know, he going out on loan, and do you think that will turn into a permanent move? Oh, I don't know. I don't think. I think it kind of had to be done because while Thomas Tuchel was here, it was clear that that was not going to work. Uh, Romelu Lukaku has actually stunk it up in Italy. Well, in, in, I don't think Inter are going to be one to purchase him. So we'll see Romelu Lukaku, I don't think, has played his last Chelsea game. But we'll, we'll have to wait and see because his his stocks are, are really diminishing. Yeah, I don't think anyone's really sad to see Rom 
go out on loan in the summer. Well, it was probably all for the best, but that's going to be an interesting issue for Chelsea to address in the summer. Gary, just a quick one for you on Lukaku, because the Tartar has got all like the attributes to be a top quality striker. And for one reason or another, it just hasn't worked. You know, like even at every club he's been at, he's either ended up, you know, falling out or it's not ended well. You know, do you think it's the person? Do you actually think it's Romelu Lukaku who's holding himself back? Yeah, I think I think Lukaku doesn't like to take instruction. I think that is the, the issue. Um, you've got a coach like Thomas Tuchel, who is quite aggressive in his approach. You know, he wants stuff done his way. Um, and, you know, all this stuff came out last year about um, that, is, that Lukaku's mindset isn't in the right place and Lukaku did that interview and all, all this sort of stuff. Um, I don't think he likes to take instruction. I think that's that's a problem. I think he feels like he needs to be bigger than what the coach is. And I feel with Tuchel, he, he didn't get that. Um, and Tuchel kind of held his own. But I think from a club perspective as well, um, looked at it and thought, you know, he's £90 million transfer. I think record transfer for Chelsea. I think record transfer at the time as well. Um, and I thought they probably thought the club and the manager and the player themselves is they need to keep it a level head and try and just let this, you know, go away. Um, I think the English game is, it's a strange one because he did all right at Everton. He did all right at Man United. Um, his two spells at Chelsea just haven't really lived up to expectations. Um, he's gone back to Inter. I think he's only played a handful of games on loan. It, it, Granted, he did really well at Inter in his loan in 2019, I think it was. I think it was two years he was there. Was it a loan? No, it might have been permanent, actually, sorry. Um, he did well, but I think maybe Serie A just suits the way he wants to play. Because generally, I think he's a little bit lazy. I think we saw that in the World Cup. Um, when when he played, I, I feel like his head wasn't in it. But again, you can say that for a lot of the Belgian players. Uh, so I feel like he feels he needs to be the club where he... He is front and centre, and it's not the coach and it's not the players. And that's why I think it hasn't worked out, personally. Yeah, yeah. Um, hopefully, I mean, it's you, you get these players who sometimes just need to fall back in love with the game, don't they? You know, we've we've mentioned this a few times on the podcast where you, just, you know there's talent there. So uh, we'll, we'll move on to, um, you know, the 7th of September 2022, Nick, and Thomas Tuchel is sacked as Chelsea manager. Um, you know what? six, seven weeks into the season, uh, a guy who had a win percentage of 60%, you know, got Chelsea to eight cup finals. Was was that a shock or did, did you think the wheels had started coming off quite early on in the season? Obviously, he had that fight with Antonio Conte um, in the derby. But there was a lot of rumours of, like, kind of you know, discontent coming from Tuchel's side with signings and everything like that. So, uh, you know, what year was it a shock and, or, or did you really see it coming? Was the writing on the wall quite early on? I mean, it was kind of a surprise in terms of sense that that was pretty early for Chelsea to sack him. But, but Chelsea have played awful football for ages under Tuchel. So, and the reasons for him going were not the reasons for him going in the when you know not perform were not performance related. It was the fact that Bodhi and Co did not think that they could you know have a working relationship with Tuchel that they wanted. So they canned him. And when they're the new owners of the club, they're going to run the club. And you kind of just got to go fair enough. I can't really complain with that. So. Now, like Thomas Tuchel, just briefly on him, brilliant first six months or so at Chelsea. Uh, 2022 was just kind of a, a struggle. He had dealt with injuries, had to deal with sanctions, etc. Stuff he shouldn't have had to deal with and become a spokesman for the club. And for that, he spoke so well. I think the love for Thomas Tuchel at that time became a lot stronger than it already was. There was, there was so much love for Thomas Tuchel. Uh, just for the way he handled himself, because I think a lot of managers easily in that situation could have just come up, you know, I'm out. This is an uncertain situation. I'm gone, but he, he stuck by us. Um, but Chelsea had been pretty uninspiring to watch in 2022, and the amount of enjoyable games they played sort of during that time, I could probably count on one hand, which which kind of tells its story. There were obviously moments where they kind of flicker into life. They produced an absolutely sensational performance with a burnabout. Uh, to, to turn that tie around only to then just you know just to, to lose it late on but there, there weren't many moments and I say we lost in the space of 17 days we lost to, to Southampton who are bottom of the league we lost 3-0 at Leeds and we lost 1-0 to Dynamo Zagreb in our opening game 
we looked flat. We played well in one game this season under him, which was that derby against Tottenham Hotspur, and you kind of expect that. It's a London derby. Players should be up for it. And, I mean, it was a two-all draw. We didn't even win that game. So that kind of tells its own story. And the league form had dropped off for a while. I think as a spout I saw, we were in the calendar year for 2022, we were about sixth or seventh in terms of actual points picked up from league games. Um, so that kind of tells a story. And it kind of also just indicates, you know, the drop-off from where we are right now is kind of it had been coming because it had been coming obviously you know halfway through last season but obviously we had a strong start to last season so we still stayed in the top four but yeah on to going it was it's kind of a, a sad day in the sense because you kind of realise at Chelsea you kind of try not to get too attached to managers but it was also quite hard when they when they give you the memories that they do mm-hmm. um, so it was kind of sad and it was just you know gratefulness and then obviously today there's been rumours that Google would consider Tottenham so I'm just like no, I can't. I don't, I'd ideally not like another Chelsea manager going to Tottenham, but we'll see. It, it is what it is. But yeah, that was a that was an interesting day. But it was probably you know a day that you just got to go. Okay, right now the Todd Bowley era, now this new era starts. Now they go and get their man, and, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, Gary, we'll just we'll just finish up on Tuchel and a legacy. You know, a sixty percent win ratio with Chelsea. I mean, uh, this is from the outside looking in. I've, I don't watch much of, of of Chelsea, and obviously Nick's Nick's you know a, a diehard fan. But I thought it was a, a little bit of a mad one, to be honest. Um, but obviously, you know, Nick's Nick's just described that the football had gone off. I mean, on on what was your what was your opinion? Did you think you probably needed a bit more time, or was the was the writing on the wall quite early on? I think when new ownership comes in, there's always a vision of having their guy, um, of Graham Potter's that guy. Um, do I think Tuchel should have been given more time? Yeah, I think you've got to look what he was doing. You know, he's a good coach. I totally agree with Nick as well. I, I feel like football wasn't great. Um, he needs he needed time to kind of you know put his stamp on the side under a Todd Bowley era. I honestly feel like the players that were signed. I don't think they were Tuchel players. Don't feel like uh, like Tuchel got the players he wanted. But Tuchel's had experience of being in this position before at PSG where it was kind of a different situation as such, but a lot of big egos eventually got him out of PSG. Um, I feel like maybe there was a big clash between him and Todd Bowley. I think he kind of said that there was a little bit. He was trying to educate him on football. Um, maybe had two totally different opinions. And I think, you know, the, the ownership, the new ownership just thought, you know what, right, we want our man. We know that Graham Potter is a very popular British coach. He's very popular with the media. He's very popular with the UK fan base. We go get him. That puts us in a great position with the fans already. Um, so... I feel like they'd always had a plan, maybe, uh, that Tuchel was never going to be the long-term guy, which, like I say, you see that with new owners coming in that want their own guy. Um, I was shocked. I would like to see Tuchel back in, in the Premier League, and, you know, if that's potentially Spurs, then, then so be it, because um, there's some weird stuff going on with Conte there in, in the club. Um, that could be a challenge he'll take up, but... Like from Nick's perspective, seeing a potential another Chelsea manager go to, to Spurs, it's an interesting one when they've had Jose, um, Conte, and now potentially Tuchel. You know, if Conte decides to leave, that would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, we'll go on to um, to Graham Potter, Nick. Obviously, you know, Graham Potter was a manager who's had success everywhere he's been. Obviously, you know, he started off at uh, Ostersund in Sweden. Um, you know, managed to get them into, I think it was Europa League, wasn't it? And they beat the Arsenal. Um, obviously, lost an aggregate, but beat them in uh, at the Emirates. And, uh, and not many teams do that still nowadays. You know what I mean? And had a really good had a really good spell at Swansea and. Has got Brighton turned Brighton into you know a, a stalwart of the Premier League. It seems it seems to be now, and so it, it was quite a quick appointment as well, wasn't it? You know, obviously they knew who they wanted in. You know, he was in within a couple of days. Um, you know, was was there a bit of hope? You, you know, renewed hope when uh, when Potter took took the job. I mean, I think given how flat Chelsea had been at the end of two, I think it was just sort of just intrigue really, and sort of the next time to see okay, what's Potter going to do? Because this is a step up. This is this is a risk. Like we, we've we've got no clue if he's good enough. But it, you know, he'd he'd earned that opportunity. So it was kind of just intrigue and excitement. And I mean, yeah, he he started off started off all right, um, and then <laughs> injuries hit, and injuries, you know, which caused issues to his predecessor, caused caused issues to him, and it, it's sort of just been 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 a bit of a struggle. Um, 
of his last few months and he can obviously do more. I don't think you can just hide behind injuries, although Chelsea have had a ridiculous amount of injuries. I think, yeah, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's scary the amount of injuries we've had since the start of last season. And I think Chelsea are now doing like an inquest into the medical department, etc., and seeing you know, what, what's going on there. But it's interesting with Potter. It's quite, he's not won Chelsea fans over at all. Uh, with, I mean, I don't think, I know you mentioned about that again, fans are like English, I don't think that probably had anything to do with it. I think they just thought, He's a he's a guy who we want to project. He's a guy who has shown you know he he can undertake a project doing what he did at Ostersunds uh, and Brighton. So I think that was probably what they saw in him. He doesn't have the, the real pedigree of, of loads of trophies behind him, but they saw someone who could undertake what they wanted. He might he might be the guy to take Chelsea from point A to point B, but not from then to, to point C. Who knows? But they kind of bought him in, I think, just to do get that initial rebuild underway and just. To see how it goes, but it's it's early days. We've got to be got to be patient. It, it's not been great, but it's just one of those things. I think Chelsea for a long enough has been with a higher and fire approach for the previous regime, just been putting a band aid over this sort of Frankenstein of a squad. And I think the band aid has stopped working, and Chelsea have now just got to confront this problem head on it and just deal with it. And that starts with bringing in new players, and it starts with in the summer getting rid of those players who, who shouldn't be here anymore yeah I mean uh, uh, this is me that, like the next question would be do you think that obviously obviously, you know they're not playing very well you know the results aren't aren't great I don't think the World Cup breaks kind of helped either you know with um, you know especially with the new manager still trying to get his feet on the table and you're off for a month it's, it's, it's quite difficult but see, see if the form doesn't improve and, and Chelsea say finish you know 8th to 10th at the end of the season, do you think he will get the summer to kind of, you know, change the decks a little bit, you know, bring his own players in, get rid of the dead ward? Do you think he will be given that time? Or do you think that, you know, Top Body will look and think and hang on a minute? Because, I mean, it's 16 million quid, you know, that's how much Chelsea pay Brighton for. I mean, it's, it's an investment, isn't it? And I don't think a season or eight months is, is long enough, even if the form has fallen off a cliff, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, look, I think you've got to give, certainly, like, to see how he goes now to the end of the season. Um, I think as, if, if there's signs that Chelsea are actually progressing, Bay Potter wants to play, that there's signs that are plans to play, etc. But you can see, and there's things he does, he's giving opportunity to, to some of the younger players who can be part of this, this squad going forward. And see, yeah, to be honest, for me, league position is, if Chelsea aren't getting in the top four, which I don't think they will, league position is pretty relevant to me. I don't care where we finish as long as it's obviously not in the bottom three, but I don't think Chelsea will have to, to worry about that. But honestly, league position is pretty relevant to me. I don't care if Chelsea end up in the Europa League. I'd probably honestly rather a season of no European football just so Chelsea are playing one game a week, just so it gives Potter more time to get his ideas across to those players. We'll have to see, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think there's like a magic cutoff league position but where he goes if he's he finishes above here, he's safe, or if he finishes below there, he's gone. I think it's just one of those just wait and see. And if there's sort of signs of improvement and the signs that he's showing signs of actually, you know, project building, i.e., he's giving some of these younger players who will be here next season opportunities, and he's not playing some of these senior players who won't be here next season. Just even simple things like that, then that, that can help him go a long way. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Yeah, and um, Gary, I, I want to ask you this one about because um, Nick, just in case you don't, well, you you won't know, but Gary's the um, the inevitable. Someone's getting sacked every week in our little group chat that we've got. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll go to uh, to Gary on this. Um, how long do you think he's got? Do you think he'll last the season? I think he should last the season. I think he should last till next season. It just depends what the mentality of the ownership's going to be like not many people come out of chelsea football club um by resignation um there's only a couple who i can think off the top of my head because it had been one of them and he was only a temporary manager um i think you should get the time because i really really agree empire i have a feeling he might not because i feel like with all the players that's been signed the there's gonna, we want to, they'll want to see a return quite quickly from all the players being signed. But like I'm looking, and they've signed Badashili at the back. Um, you know, you've already got Thiago Silva. You you've got Koulibaly, you've got Chabala who he's trying to bring in. He's trying to bring in Lewis Hall. I I don't know where you're gonna fit all of these new players in. Wesley Fofana's played two games. Granted, he's injured. But he'll come into the fold eventually. I don't know where all these names are gonna are gonna fit into this team, and I feel like maybe that might cause a rift between manager and board. I, I don't know; it's a prediction, but I don't know if he'll be there at the end of the season. Um, I honestly don't, and I, that's my honest, honest opinion. I just I don't know, but I do have a question for yourself, Nick, in regards to Potter. Do you think he's a yes man, and do you think he's signing the players? Or do you think it's a board decision for the players and he hasn't got much of a say in it? Well, I think Chelsea have now got that structure in place. They've got the likes of Jim Stanley, Vivelle, etc. They've got these names and they've kind of got these players. I know people kind of joke about Todd Bowden playing football manager, but he's now relinquished that sort of interim sporting director role. And he has got the structure in place and that they signed Michaelo Mudrik from Shakhtar. And he was a player that Potter quite liked when he was at Brighton. And I think there's obviously some clear clear interest there. Look, ultimately, I think the type of players we signed in the summer were, were players Tuka wanted. I, I genuinely believe that, apart from maybe Dennis Zakarai, which was a, a panic buy on sort of deadline day. But those players, I think, were bought in. Apamyang, I think, could only be bought in for Thomas Tuchel. I think Sterling bought in for him. Kudabali bought in for him. And then, obviously, Potter now wants to bring in sort of a different type of profile players. We've got Jao Felix on loan, which hopefully that can maybe become a permanent. And, and Mikhailo uh, Mudrik. So, again, that's Potter kind of already, you know, revamping the attack and we'll see Benoit Badishide has come in with Chelsea that there will be players put at once but also Chelsea have got a clear idea of what they you know want to do they want to bring in sort of a lot of players they've got a lot of the signings Chelsea been made as sort of these young 21 year old type players etc who who can be who can be moulded by Potter instead of whereas Thomas Tuchel a lot of those signings we, granted we did sign the likes of Kani Chukwameka in the summer as well but there was also getting some, some seniority in there but Potter I think actually working with a younger squad will be good for him because there won't necessarily be perhaps as many egos. I think, you know, Potter is perhaps more, maybe more of a teacher than Tuchel is. And Tuchel just wants to work with these sort of almost ready-made players. He is not to say he can't develop them, but I think Potter is actually good for uh, sort of the players we want to bring in and want to develop. So, look, I, I can say, I know a lot to the outside. People might think Chelsea's transfer approach is bizarre, but I can clearly see a method they're wanting to bring in Young, talented players. A lot of these players getting long deals, seven, eight and a half year deals as well. Um, there is a clear plan in place. Uh, and obviously, we'll just have to work with it. As I said, the reason why it might be a bit of a mess is because there were players signed for, for an old manager in, in the summer. And who knows, maybe in it, looking back at it in an ideal world, but the manager, Foley and Co. go, right, see you too, cool. Thank you. But we want Potter and they get him in the summer. And maybe it's the situation that's a bit different to now. Who knows? But yeah, I think with, with these players, possible. It's not, I do not think, and I mean, it's still early days, but I don't think it's actually like the old regime of the old regime wanting a player or getting a player and going, get this person. I think there is probably more, more structure. There is more structure in place to, for Chelsea to actually make signings and make sensible decisions when it comes to transfers. Yeah, I mean, and what, what he's gone from as well, Pot, I mean, again, something where. There was already, you know, a very good, you know, backroom staff in place, especially with what what came to signings, because obviously Graham Ashworth, who's went to Newcastle now, he brought quite a lot of those players in, so he's used to that anyway. 
And you look what Brighton have done. They've developed these young young stars, and they've all gone and, you know, obviously we can say Cuchavella, you know, who's gone to, who's gone to Chelsea for sixty five million, and and they just look to replace them. And you know, you look what Brighton have done. I mean, I think Brighton are a fantastic way of how to run a football club now, and I think it's the new the new way which I can see what Chelsea are trying to do as well. Um, Obviously, a manager does go back for a player, though, Nick. Um, do you think, is there anyone at Brighton who you've got your eye on thinking, oh, you know, we'll take him? Uh, that, that, that Levy Cole was quite good. Oh, wait, he's on loan from us. Yeah, I suppose we'll take him. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, um, I think that obviously also plays a part in the Cucurella price, but Chelsea didn't give Colwell permanently, so the, the Cucurella uh, price went up a bit there. But uh, look, I'm kind of also aware, like, the ideal thing for Brighton, you know, is. I'm kind of aware of some players from Brighton. Like Brighton's system is brilliant, but if Chelsea kind of nicked that system in place, and Chelsea have got a bigger budget to play with Brighton, then they can also probably find these players, and also find sort of better players than these. I mean, like it'd be really easy for me to just go like Mitomo. He's like the next hottest thing of the Premier League at the moment. I mean, he he he's having a great season, but I I wouldn't you know be saying like I'm desperate for sort of any players from Brighton that's not to, to belittle Brighton or how good those players are but I just don't think Chelsea just need to go well we'll go raid raid Brighton there's obviously been links with Trossard because Trossard's sort of had a fallen out of Brighton or whatever and I know there's been links to him again I, I'm not sure how big I am on that he's 28 I mean can Chelsea not use their scouting system and find someone better I, they probably can so, so and they, as I said they've got more budget to work with them at Brighton so I'd say look Brian is a is a brilliant model. Chelsea can follow that and just you know add on it. Just you've got more budget to work with it than those clubs. Yeah, I, I agree about Tom as well. He's absolutely fantastic. To be fair, um, absolutely fantastic footballer. And I was reading something about his university where he was. Uh, kind of looking at, you know, different athletes, because obviously he did a sports degree and looking at different athletes and how he could make himself a better footballer by, while watching his athletes, like, you know, 100-metre running and everything like that. It was, it was such an interesting, uh, I think it was an article I was reading, actually. It was really, really interesting kind of, uh, kind of, um, little kind of insight into him. But obviously we're talking about Chelsea, so we'll go, we'll go further on. Um, and obviously, obviously the uh, very sad news, uh, Nick, of Gianluca Vialli um, passing away, uh, only 58 years of age. I mean, um, I don't know I don't know how old you are, but are you old enough to remember Vialli at Chelsea? And um, obviously he's a legend. And it was such a lovely touch and tribute to him on Sunday. Uh, I mean, I've, I'm not a, a Chelsea fan, but I'm a huge Gianluca Vialli fan from the from the football Italia days. And I, I had a little bit of a team. In my eye. It was it was a beautiful tribute. Yeah, no. Look, unfortunately, I was kind of a bit too young uh, to really to, to see him. Obviously, I was born when he was there, but my two or three year old self was not really interested in football. <laughs> I was probably more interested in, in, in trains or or Scooby Doo or whatever, something like that. So I I did not really you know see that he's one of those players you kind of learn about, you kind of get taught about about this man. And I think you know when when the news broke, it's one of those things. I think whenever someone someone in football passes, you're kind of like hit with with it with it's like oh okay wow. When I think when it's like from someone who plays for your club, you kind of realise and then you see the re- reaction online and you're like okay wow this person was truly truly special. I mean we saw Graham Sooners, who is one of the I don't I don't want to say hard man but one of the pretty miserable guy. <laughs> it seems that at the best of times. And you're kind of seeing it him like visibly emotional, uh, so it, it does kind of you know tell a story just how how loved he was. You kind of see you know his really beautiful uh, Sunday seeing uh, Lucas, yeah, former teammates, you know, on the pitch before lovely tribute video uh, uh, played before the game. Sort of a little book has been set up for for people to sign. This sort of like a little you know display or little shrine almost for outside the stadium. So no, it was it was just one of those things. And obviously, fifty eight is, is no way. So that was. I was really sad. Um, just pleased, I guess. I know, obviously, it was against England, but he sort of had that moment with, with his really good friend, Roberto Mancini, at Wembley at the Euros, not even that long ago now. So, look, it, it, it was, yeah, it was it was sad. And it's kind of one of those players you go like, wow, OK. Because, obviously, that was not my player. That was not someone I grew up with. But for people who only have to be maybe five, ten years older than me, that's someone who they would have grown up with and gone wow and you kind of think like what's it going to be like for me when someone from my you know who I grew up idolizing kind of passed you kind of just makes you think like wow this is like just kind of puts it all into focus and makes you realize how sort of special these people are 
Yeah, definitely. And, and, and Gary, I'll bring you in on this as well. So obviously, we did a little bit of a, a tribute to, to Luger last week, which um, you know has gone has gone down well. We've got a couple of nice uh, nice comments from, but I mean, again, this this the, the tribute on Sunday, I, just, I, I really thought was brilliant. And to be fair to Chelsea, I think they do that quite well. Obviously, with the when John Terry retired and things like that, um, you know, they do do you know tributes quite well. Yeah, I totally agree with you, and it was a uh, it was very special, heartwarming, teary eyed uh, to see. And again, I mean, we've touched on it just there. Like he's a legend, not just for Chelsea, but you know, for Juventus, for Sampdoria, for Italy. Like the guy is 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 a, was a fantastic player. He he was a great coach for Chelsea. Um, so to see the respect which you know the club, the fans. Not just Chelsea fans, but just football fans in general that have uh, such a legend as 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 Gianluca Vialli was. It's it's just heartwarming, and you know I, I I'm still gutted about it. Like I re- proper rated Vialli, such a nice gent as well. When you saw him do punditry or you know doing interviews when when he was Chelsea manager or even player, um, such a heartwarming person. Um, but. The, the way the way Chelsea's tribute was, you know, it was really, really heartwarming, as I've just touched on, and, you know, so fitting of Gianluca Fiali. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, so, Nick, we'll go on to, um, you know, the thoughts for the rest of the season, obviously. We're still in January, it's still, the season's just halfway over, and, well, you know, Chelsea are out of both cups, um, you know, Man City did the dirty, and, um, you know, he's out of both cups, the league... As we said, top four is probably not going to happen. Um, finish as high as possible, you know, maybe Europa League. But the Champions League's still there, so you know, just go and win that. Eh? <laughs> yeah, I've been told a few, a few issues. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, look, it, it's just one of those things. Just, just wait and see. It's in a way, in an odd way, given how the season's played out, it's almost been I don't want to say nice, but I've just been able to kind of just observe it. Bit more, almost to take a bit more of a back seat. Whereas the past few years, it's just been obsessing over scrapping and battling to get into top four. And you're looking out for this team's results and or how all this team's drop points. How we've really got to capitalise now. And for the first time, you know, since that, you know, 15, 16 horror show, I'm not looking over my shoulder about Chelsea either going for a title or or, or kind of worrying about top four. So in that sense, it's quite nice. I'm almost just like just tuning in, watching a Chelsea game. Right, okay, move on to. The next one, so we'll just see. Look, Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League. Chelsea going to need to improve a lot, given what we've seen. If they stand a chance when the draw was made, I think a lot of people would, you know, would say Chelsea favourites, and Chelsea still got a, a pretty good chance progressing past Borussia Dortmund. They're obviously going to have to improve on what they're they're playing right now. But by the time that tie comes around, if they have a few more players back, confidence might be up. So there's still time to, to turn it around. I wouldn't hold much expectations for Chelsea to get much further than the quarterfinals, but then that obviously just depends. You get in the Champions League draw, you get a, a maybe slightly kinder draw. Then, then who knows what happens? But I would not put money on Chelsea going going too much further in the Champions League. And to say, as for league position, I'm not really. I mean, it's easy, but I'm not even really focused on on kind of the results of matches too much. I'm more kind of seeing what am I seeing out there? Am I seeing sort of something I can get behind? Am I seeing patterns of play? Am I seeing ideas, Potter's ideas coming across? Am I seeing these sort of players being being utilised in this way, etc. In a weird way, I'm almost not really too too bothered about about the results much. It was obviously just relief in a way to beat Crystal Palace, given when we were in. If we'd not been Crystal Palace, I think it would have been about one win in ten or something, which would have been would have been pretty pretty grim stuff. But I'm not really looking at league position. There's, there's obviously maybe some pros of we get if we were to get Europa League, or that if we weren't to take it that seriously, that we could play some of the kit, some of the younger players that could be. A good experience for them. I mean, Chelsea have been in the Europa League twice before and they've won it both times pretty comfortably. So, I mean, it's again, it's a chance for the silverware if Chelsea do drop down. But honestly, I'm not really bothered about league position. I, I you know, my oddly seventh place, if we were to achieve some form of European football, I'd say seventh place just because it's the Europa Conference League and Chelsea, you know, that's, that's only a new competition, it's only in its second season. So Chelsea have not had the opportunity to win that trophy. Uh, so then if we, you know, they drop down to that, could win it, then we, you know, could truly say that we have now won it all. Um, <laughs> so that would be, that would be quite nice. But honestly, I'm not too, I'm not overly fussed about league position, really. We've got, you know, if we can, if we can, it's going to be tough. We can somehow 
help derail Arsenal's title, did we still got to go to the Emirates? I don't know much over that. But if we can go there late in the season and maybe get a result, that would be quite nice. It's almost Chelsea's role now is just sort of disruptors, I guess. Yeah, it's spoilers. Yeah. For, for other teams that, and just just see what happens but no it's been pretty it's pretty calm it's probably despite a lot of the, the negativity that's followed with the results this season and just sort of general feeling I've actually just been pretty calm about it just accepting that sooner or later we were going to run it you know this was coming not maybe not to this extent I didn't expect, mm-hmm. expect it to be this or this bad like I knew that at some point you know given the players we lost in the summer that there would be there would be some struggles and that in an ideal world, we could still get top four, but it could also very quickly fall apart, and it did fall apart. So uh, we'll just see. We've got what, 19, 20 league games left this season. Just, just you know, win the important ones. Just win the important ones. We've got Spurs away still to play. We, you know, we've got some, some London derbies, etc. Still got some of the big six to play. Just get, get me some results against them, please. Give me something to look forward to, because Chelsea's record against the big six you know, <laughs> over the last, last, last couple of years hasn't been too amazing. Uh, a couple of wins against, you know, some wins against Spurs, but it's it's Spurs. Chelsea always tend to tend to be Spurs. So give me some, maybe get some results against some of the other sides. And look, we've got Liverpool at the weekend, who are you know, almost as bad, if not as bad as us. So there's a chance there. But honestly, I'm just kind of just looking at it, and I'm just thinking, give me, just give me, not Arsenal winning the league, please. <laughs> I'm kind of what that's what my my season is all to mind you. I mean, if Arsenal can drop points, that will give me some joy. <laughs> I, I just kind of want to throw it out there about about Arsenal, and, and you'll probably hate us for saying this, Nick. But like you, you've looked at, you look at what uh, you can you can kind of compare Chelsea with Arsenal, where Arsenal were like two or three years ago, where they took a chance with Arteta, you know, a young manager, up and coming manager. Um, it didn't exactly, you know, start brilliantly. You know, there was calls for him to be sacked. They, they, they were calm, they were, they were they were patient, and then now look at them, and, and they missed out on European football. You know, they they had a year where they didn't play European football. You know, kind of got this this settled squad together, signed some you know very very good players, developed some youth, and now the top of the league with what an eight point gap. So you know, even though you know times are hard for Chelsea, you can kind of look at that benchmark of what Arsenal have set. Obviously, you prefer that to be any other team bar Arsenal. But, you know, the benchmark that they've set, it, it's kind of something where Chelsea can aim at. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, and it, we've seen a lot of people kind of use the Liverpool-Manchester City example. I think that's almost unfair on Graham Potter because with the great respect to Graham Potter, he has not had Guardiola or Young Klopp, he has not had the success mm-hmm. that they have, they have had in the game. And that comparison does almost feel unfair. And City, as they were Pep, it was, it was one season which... You know, one, one troublesome season which involves still getting top four, reaching an FA Cup semi-final, etc. So, you know, that that was one season of hardship uh, in their terms. And then obviously Liverpool, you know, with Klopp, that, that was still, you know, after that first season he joined, he joined mid-season after that, it was, you know, constant top four finishes. And then in his what, second full season or whatever, he gets into a Champions League final. So, Barteta is, is a good one to look at. Obviously, I think Chelsea have got a better starting point than Arsenal. So, you know, I, you know, in, maybe in terms of time, you maybe put all that down a bit. But I mean, a lot of people. I mean, we were laughing at Arsenal. We were laughing at Arsenal for a lot, of, for a lot of this. A lot of fans were laughing at Arsenal, laughing at Arteta. Do you miss? I mean, Arsenal's own fans didn't. A lot of their own fans didn't believe it in what was going on. So, and now, now you look at them and the rules they've reaped, and who knows what it's going to lead to, but. Their trusting in this, their process has already been worth it because they're going to get top four. Top four is, they're going to, at the worst, they're going to get top four and they've not had Champions League football for, what, five or six years. So paying, trusting in this process with Arteta has already paid off in that aspect and it could reap greater rewards. They're still in the FA Cup, albeit they've got a tough tie at Manchester City next. Um, so they've got, you know, they've got a great chance of the title and, it, you know, they're sustaining a, it's hard to bid, and who knows? Even if it, if they don't go next, finish it off this season, then maybe they'll be back again next season. So, yeah, look, it, it's one of those things in modern football. I think it's becoming increasingly clear now that the old method that Chelsea employed, the, the Roman Abramovich high and fire break, that does not work anymore. It does not work if you want to have sustained success domestically. Chelsea had success still with winning cups and winning winning trophies. They did also lose a lot of finals in this time, but Chelsea have progressed nowhere in the Premier League for the last four or five years. So, yeah, since winning Premier League in 2017, Chelsea have finished fifth, third, fourth, fourth, third or something like that. And obviously this season's a bit of a shock. So Chelsea haven't really progressed anywhere in, in this time. So 
yeah, you look at Arsenal, you look at what Arteta is doing there, and you go, okay, I'm granted Arteta did win win an FA Cup quite early on in, in there, but he's not really had the success after that. So, yeah, I think you can, can certainly look at Arsenal and Arteta and go, okay, they they got structure in place, they targeted certain players, and again, Arsenal kind of again a lot of younger players trusted in Saka, got Ramsdale in, got. Then White and etc. got quite a few sort of younger players and they sort of built this squad and they just gradually like grown together and you're now kind of seeing them. I still think they're one of the youngest squads, I think, in the Premier League and they're doing this already. So yeah, you look at it, it's it's depressing to watch, but it's also a sign of okay, we can we can maybe look at this and take advice. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com yeah, I mean, we're Sunderland fans, so you talk about depressing. You know, obviously, we're still in the Championship and then we're looking at Newcastle unbeaten in God knows how long. Can't concede the goal on them in the semi-finals of a cup. It is horrible. <laughs> but um, a question for you is both, actually. I'll start going with you because... I think Nick's picked up on, on a really good point that you, you look at, you know, Chelsea is struggling, Liverpool is struggling, Tottenham is struggling. Is the kind of, you know, at premise of the big four kind of finish now in the Premier League where you look at Brighton, you know, you look at Newcastle now where we're obviously going to be up there nearly every season with the amount of money that they've got. You know, you like to look at where this money's coming from. We can all have this argument. They're going to be there. You look at Brentford who are having a very good season. Fulham who, you know, up until, you know, up until uh, Saturday, Sunday, sorry, just gone, was sixth in the table and, and they've just come up, you know, is this, you know, kind of the big four is this all over now? Or do you think there's going to be other teams who are going to, you know, break into that, break into that top four, top six? Um. Yeah, actually, I do. I th- I think you know there's there's gonna be some, as you would call it, big four, big six teams who are probably looking at doing a complete rebuild. You know, Chelsea's gonna be one of them. Arsenal were one of them. Um, where they they're gonna look at a new model. They're gonna look at trying to do something different. Um, Arteta, for example, and Arsenal haven't necessarily went and signed world class players. They've went and signed players who they believe can add stuff to their team, such as Zinchenko, such as um, Gabriel Jesus. Um, granted, Jesus is injured and Niketi is taking that forward role at the moment. But I feel like it's all about the development. It's all about looking at, you know, where the team can be improved for the long term, you know, having a philosophy in place, having a long term structure and plan, um, which you know, Brighton are doing it at the moment. Uh, we've got Arsenal who are doing it. Chelsea, you know, are in the midst of trying to put together their own project and their own foundation under new ownership. Um, Newcastle, I mean, we have to mention them. Um, and, and as far as, you know, Newcastle go, Eddie Howe was a brilliant British coach. Again, they haven't necessarily went and signed world-class players to improve their team. Um, they've signed players who they believe can add something to their team and, much like Arsenal, it, it's working out for them. Uh, I think if a lot of teams follow that philosophy, I do feel like the top four, top six over the next five, six, seven years could be a bit of a mashup. It could have been like um, the German league back in you know 2010 when there was a different team pretty much winning it every year. Uh, it would be interesting to see that. It would really make the competition a lot more um, exciting, in my honest opinion, if we didn't have a team that was always going to win the league every year, such as a Man City. Uh, so... Yeah, I believe if, you know, the structure's right, the foundations are right, and there's a long-term vision and goal in place, and, you know, um, that starts with trust and faith, which is what Arsenal did with Arteta. Um, I don't see why it wouldn't just be restricted to the bog-standard top four, top six. I feel like, you know, there could be other teams that could really break into it, but, it, again, it comes down to having a long-term vision. Yeah, yeah, Nick, same question, really. 
Yeah, I'm, I mean, look, that's true. The top six is a, is a TV narrative that is kind of shoved down our throats and we kind of, you know, buy it. Um, I mean, and to be fair, to a, to a certain degree, it is pretty accurate given a lot of where those teams tend to finish. But, like, you've seen, like, look at Brentford. I'm, I don't know where they're going to finish this season, but they're in their second season Premier League and they've got results against all the top six. Yeah. But, and then their model approach, and who knows, maybe there is a ceiling for Brentford that due to finances or whatever, they can't quite break break that but they're going to be just one of those troublesome clubs that, that causes problem brighton are probably one of the best run clubs in the country like they're going to buy players that they're going to sell them on for a lot of money and they're just going to wisely invest them and we'll just see what happens there with brighton you know they're going to be a menace i mean the reality is those clubs are caught up with, with a lot of the other clubs who i guess with our hubris and they're like we are this we are this like we are Chelsea, we are Man United, etc. These these ideas they don't get you, they don't guarantee you get you the success they they maybe used to do. Or you know, there's clubs with smart ways to to deal with it. And I know it's going to be painful to hear you boys, you boys here, but I think Newcastle are going to be up there, going to be there for a few years. They're going to be there. Like they've lost one game this season. They're a really good side. Like, they're really really good side. But like, we lost to them at St James's Park, and we only lost one nil. And I was like, okay, that's all right. <laughs> okay, we had we had players injured, but like Newcastle are a serious team. I'll, like you look at them, and their their team is not the most talented in terms of names on paper. They've got some really good names on paper, but you look at like before the start of the season, you wouldn't have looked at them and gone, "Oh, they'll be third, they'll be fourth But you kind of look at them now, and you're like, "Oh, I take him. Yeah, I take him. I take him. He's good." But they're a ridiculously good team. So look, I mean. Just for because Chelsea, I'm going to get top four. I do kind of hope you guys will get top four just to see because I think it'd be great for them. Um, but like, the, yeah, there's going to be a lot of teams trying to miss now. I mean, Manchester United have been pretty wayward post Fergie leaving. They've had you know some top four finishes and then also some some pretty horrendous seasons like last season, etc. Arsenal have been in the wilderness sort of long time. Spurs are. Spurs, I, I have no clue what's going on. Like that, that, that club makes no sense to me with with all they, with their managerial appointments that they make. Um, but you look at it, like yeah, this the top six. It's there's going to be a lot of teams trying to trying to break into that. And I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we've already got more than the top six. We can already say it's the top seven because Newcastle are, are firmly sort of firmly in that in that mix now, and they will be. So I guess already there's sort of a, a top seven or you know, or then who, the question is then which one of this current top six drops out of that. But yeah, there's going to be teams. There's going to be teams challenging, and I think we could easily see more team, more own, more teams, more new owners coming into Premier League, investing more money. But you genuinely could. I'm not. I don't know how long it will take. There could be a time where you've got genuinely like eight or nine teams who are good enough for for the top four. You could you could have that at some point, and it will be it will be really exciting. It's going to make it even more competitive. Yeah, totally agree that it will make them all exciting. I mean, I'm kind of sick of watching, you know, City winning everything. As much as I love Pep Guardiola and I do love his football and I do love what City's done, you know, seeing that the struggle, well, not struggling because the second, but seeing that they're actually, you know, under a really, you know, under a lot of pressure trying to win this league is actually a little bit, you know, it is a bit satisfying. You know, I, I know what you're saying with it being anyone but us I'm the same with anybody but Newcastle you know what I mean but it is quite um, it's quite refreshing I think and I think it, I, I do agree with you I think in about four or five year time once once you know likes of Chelsea get themselves sorted once Tottenham you know kind of put the big boys pants on stop being a basket case of a club um, Liverpool will come back of course they will it'll be a very very interesting league and it'll be you know I think it'll be the best league in the world again um, what we're going to do is um, Nick we're going to start a new feature um, this week um, you know, we're always looking to kind of freshen up the pod and everything like that. And I'm going to ask you and Gary, we're going to take five, I'm going to take five players from your current score and I just need a one-word answer about them, all right? So you can be brutal or you can be as honest as you want. Um, so we'll start We'll start with you, obviously, first. Um, I'm going to start from the back, so I'm going to go um, Keba. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um... Liability? <laughs> That's a bit harsh. That's a bit harsh given how he's been this season. Oh, I'm... Uh, all right. We've got all right. That's so boring. All right. <laughs> nice fence to start off with, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Yeah, Gary? Confusing. 
Right, fair, fair. So we'll go to we'll go to uh, a couple of defenders. I'm going to go for new signings as well. Um, Gary, you can start. Kaladu Koulibaly. Um, <sighs> you know what, right? Uh, Koulibaly is a good player, but he hasn't really done it at Chelsea, to be honest. Um, Gary, so... Gary, this is this is your idea, and I, you, it's a one word answer. I know. <laughs> um, I know. I don't know why I've went into a tangent there. Um, <laughs> let that disappointing, disappointing, disappointing. Right, Nick. Um. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do. Yeah. You are allowed to swear, yeah. don't worry. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Um, we'll stay with, with, with you now. I've got a feeling this might be the same answer. Um, Marco Trevella. Indifferent. Ooh, nice. Gary? Um, odd. Odd. All right. Yeah. I've got. I've got faith in. I've got faith in Like I think some of his performances and his, has been slightly overblown. I think there's there's clearly a, a decent player in there. And I think we just got to be a little bit, a little bit patient. I'm. I, you know. I've. I, I've seen. I've seen glimpses. I, I can see something there. So we'll say indifferent. Cool. Uh, Gary Conor Gallagher. Uh, ability. Right, Nick. Uh, energetic. energetic. He is. Yeah, nice. oh, I genuinely, I said, I saying like he is. He's a fascinating footballer to watch. Like we 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 played Manchester City the other week. He came off the bench and he terrified John Stones. I could not tell you any good thing, anything Conor Gallagher did in terms of a technical play, but he had John Stones scared shitless just with how wild he was. And and look, to be fair to him, over the weekend I was probably one of his best ones he has been. It's quite a mature performance, but yeah, energetic. He's a bit, bit wild, bit bit just a bit bit erratic as well. He's an interesting, he's an interesting player. I don't know if he'll be good enough to, to play for Chelsea. We'll have to see. Erratic's a good description of him, like that one. <laughs> Nick, well, well, whilst we've got you, um, Raheem Sterling. Raheem Sterling. Um... Average, <laughs> yeah, Gary. He's just been, he's just been average. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. Um, lost. I've I've got one for you for for Ian Sterling. One word answer. Finished. <laughs> Ooh, I, don't, I don't think he's a Delhi Alley uh, guy. Finished. Oh, I don't think um, and last but not least, Gary, we'll start with you. Um, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. Uh, Should have said last but least, really, on that one. <laughs> um, ego, egotistical. All right, okay, Nick. Finished. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> like, yeah. Totally, like, yeah. Legs right, have yeah. gone, haven't they? Like, you, you, you didn't give, like, I could have said some nice stuff about some players, but you didn't give me the players to say those nice things about, so it's all... It's oh, all yeah, we could, oh, we could have been... We could have, I could have given you, like, the next Mason Moncay average players like that, but... I don't think that makes for an investment podcast. <laughs> I do. I do have one, though, fellas, which I am curious for for both of your answers to this one in one word. Hakim Ziyech. Start with Curial. you. Nick. Um, erratic's been said loads of times, hasn't it? But so probably erratic again. But I just don't think he's. I don't think he's that good. So, you know. Uh, Maybe he's going to be one of those players, isn't he? Like Ziyech, where he'll go somewhere else after Chelsea and be mint. Um, but he's just one of them ones who's not good enough for the Premier League. I think. I I say Mercurial. I honestly like there's a talent there. He just does not fit what Chelsea want. He does not mm-hmm. fit Chelsea's yeah. system. He's a bit. I, he, I, he's not obviously anywhere near as good, but he kind of almost reminds me a bit. And he is not obviously been as. Yeah, he's not been as good as he was there, but he reminds me of a bit of Ma- one master at Man United. Man United just had no clue how to use him. Yeah, 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 that's a great point. Man. Like, Chelsea, he was ridiculously good. Man United just had no clue how to use him. He was also kind of fell victim of also, I guess, off-field stuff at Man United as well with the managers, etc. A lot of kind of, quite a lot of change. I think Hakim Ziyech is a, there's a player there. There's a really I agree with player that. There. There's, a, there's a genius there. There is a genius there. 
he just does not suit Chelsea. He suited what Chelsea wanted under Frank Lampard. Uh, he had a clear role there, and you can see that he does not suit does not suit what Chelsea wanted under Thomas Tuchel. And I do not think he suits what Chelsea want under Grand Potter. He can go. He could go to Italy and ball out there. He could, who knows? He, there may even be a Premier League club he could go and do well. At. There, there is a there is a player there as frustrating as he is, as distinctly average as he has been at Chelsea. There's a player there. He's, he's he is a mercurial talent. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I, I say I think he will go somewhere and be brilliant, but that doesn't necessarily make. You know, it, it happens in the Premier League, doesn't it? Where you know they go somewhere else and they're brilliant. They, they, they come here and it's just such a different, it's a different atmosphere, a different kind of style and everything like that. But we'll we'll go on to Baller and Ballick. Um, obviously this is our regular feature where basically it's someone who's had a particularly good week, someone's had a particularly bad week. Um, hence why it's called Baller and Ballick. Um, we always start with our guest first. So Nick, we'll we'll start with you. We'll go to Baller. Baller, my Baller of the week. Right, okay, well, I'm not going to do um, football-related or Premier League-related anyway. Um, I'm going to go for my ball of the week. I'm just going to go NFL, Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy. I don't know if you just watch the NFL or not, but he was the last draft pick. The NFL, the 49ers had some, they lost uh, Trey Lance and Jimmy Groffalo out. Purdy sort of come in and they're on a great win streak. They've got a great chance of reaching the Super Bowl. So and he is kind of steering the ship. So we'll go him for for, for my baller of the week. I think that's the first time we've ever had an NFL player on. So well done, nice. fair that's play. That's that. I like that. Yeah, that's the first. I think that's the first. I'll have to. We'll have to check back. But I'm fairly confident that's the first one. Uh, just as a, a, a quite a side note, that I have a San Francisco 49ers Christmas jumper. So there you go. <laughs> uh, Gary, we'll go to you. Uh, so. I'm going to go with uh, Andy Murray for, you know, a brilliant five-setter against Matteo Berrettini yesterday. You know, he, he won it in a tie break in the fifth set. Um, it's well documented he's had problems with injuries. And Berrettini's a good player. Um, and uh, have Berrettini in the first round of the Aussie Open and, and beat him in five sets, you know, I think that deserves a lot of credit considering the problems he's had with injuries, the problems he's had with fitness. And he played a really good game. Uh, he... Took no barrier. He, he literally took no prisoners when, you know, he was playing on the court. He, at one point, he landed on his on his on his metal hip, and he said in his head he just didn't think about it because he just wanted to win the game. He's so focused on trying to win the Aussie Open. He might not win it, and his words, he might not win it. But you know, he he wants to try and just play the best tennis he can for the fans. And you know, I thought he played a brilliant game, and I think he deserves me my me my be my baller this week. Yeah, can you remember um, last year when we did Wimbledon and Berrettini? Was my, he was my tip, and then he pulled out with COVID the day before it started. So, I mean, fair play, Andy Berry, like that. That's a very, very good. I don't think he'll get much further because that's going to take a lot out of him. But fair play to him. It's good to see him back as well, as much as, you know, he is very much a dull kind of kind of guy. He looks very, very, um, very, very miserable half the time. But, um, you know, fair play. It was He was very, very good. Um, and it's it, it kind of shows British tennis is still there, isn't it? You know what I mean? So um, I think him and you know, Cameron Norrie's doing quite well as well. So I fair play. Um, my baller is, I'm going at the women's football, um, specifically Sunderland women, and uh, a lady called Elizabeth Ejubi, um, who signed from Durham um, the previous week, and Sunderland played Durham. Um, in in the Wea derby, and Juby scored the first goal and got Player of the Week for uh, the women's championship. So I think that's that's a good way to start your debut. I think. Um, so I'll give that to her. We'll go to Ball Lake. Uh, Nick, we'll start with you again. I can't. I can't just like say a team, can I? Or does that have to be yes, individual? Yes, you can. Yeah, team's fine. You can say a team, right? Yeah. Okay. Sri Lankan cricket team. They lost by 317 runs in an ODI against India. We were at Kohli in his ridiculously good form, but he's in got another 100. India got 390. Sri Lanka were bowled out for 73. And I believe the Sri Lankan cricket board ever wanted to put, like, you know, wanted a report to come out of it because it was such a bad loss. Uh, they kind of like want to investigate, see, like, how, how are they, how can they lose this badly? So, I mean, that, I think that must be, they must be my, uh, my pick for that. Yeah, it, 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 just going on, on a little bit of cricket, because I'm quite a big cricket fan as well, but have you noticed, like, 
kind of like in the last few weeks that some of these low scores that are coming in obviously that i've seen that triangle one and there was the one in the big in the uh the big bash league where a team got like bowled out for 19 or something didn't they and it just seems a bit weird that it, that you're seeing these scores coming through yeah there's been some, some interesting uh some, some interesting scores in the world of cricket these last month or so yeah it does seem strange gary we'll go to you well, I think it's got to be the BBC getting pranked with the um, the noises, hasn't it? I mean, more so the fact, right, that I don't understand how this person got past security to be able to do this. I mean, isn't that a bit concerning? Um, but you know, it was a bit of a, a bit of a strange one to you know hear here on TV, but also to mention as well the lights going out at Wolves, being off for three minutes. Um, it just was a bit of a strange game and strange coverage but credit to Gary Lineker like he handled it really well um and you know even at half time he, he made a little bit of a joke about it when uh Liverpool had scored the goal saying um it's not the first time we've had a scream at the night so yeah, um yeah. he handled it really well but how it actually happened I, I do not know and I feel like that's gonna BBC is gonna be uh the, the butt of a joke for quite a while and I think B, BBC might even you know maybe get some tongue-in-cheek comments in, you know, during coverage just to kind of, you know, maybe keep their social media momentum going from whatever happened. Um, But it was an interesting one nonetheless, wasn't it? I didn't even think it actually really happened until I sent that message in our group chat going, did this actually happen? Um, So it was a very interesting one. (laughs) I I, I just put forward two two other shouts for Buller of the week. Sorry, I just come to me. Go on. on. Ali, I don't actually Ali McCoy's reaction to hearing hilarious. About yes, yes. Yeah. And also Laura Woods for, for comments about Piers Morgan saying that you know Eric Ten Hag should apologise for Ronaldo, get on his knees and apologise to him. Saying Ronaldo and Laura Woods saying I'll have to tell him who you are first. Hilarious. That was, that was also very very good. <laughs> She's having the time of her life. It was hilarious She's that class. Ali McCoy's comment. Laughs. There's Laura Woods, absolutely brilliant. To be fair, her and McCoyst on the on the the top spot breakfast show, you, you can see how much they bounce off each other. Like, aren't they? They're absolutely brilliant. The pair of them. Um, is it me for balling? I've I've lost my train of thought now. Yeah, it is because um, Gary and Nick Bang. Um, right, I am going to go for Alexander Mitrovic. Um, you know, getting booed all all game by the Newcastle fans. Fulham win a penalty. He steps up, steps over. Kicks the ball both feet and concedes an indirect free kick. And the ball went in as well, which was even worse. So um as far as cop ups go, I think I think that's as always it was a mistake, but uh yeah, he'll I think he'll uh, not try not to slip over next time. Um but yeah, we'll we'll, we'll finish it there, guys. Um Nick, thanks so much for, for coming on. Um would you wanna let our listeners know where we can find yourself and your podcast? Yeah, sure. Cheers for having me on, guys. That was that was really good fun. Uh, love that sort of segment at the end. Um, yeah, <laughs> we're on Twitter at that Chelsea Pod, Instagram at that Chelsea Pod. If you use it, I don't. Not really active on Instagram, and just on all your usual podcast platforms, providers, Apple, Spotify, etc. That Chelsea Podcast. Just search us up, and we we should come up. Yeah, cheers, guys. That was good fun. Spot on. No worries. Thanks very much for for coming on and uh, being our first guest of 2023. So you're already our best guest. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll we'll shoot. We'll, we'll try and catch up with you at some point um, during the season. And fingers crossed, you know everything goes well for Chelsea and from now until the end of the season. Um, Gary, as usual, thank you so much, mate. I've had the time of my life. <laughs> Oh, God. Right. Yeah, um, we'll be back next week. Um, I haven't got a clue what we're talking about. Yeah, we haven't thought about it, but I'm sure something will come up. And uh, as per, you can find us on Spotify, uh, on the Sports Social Network. Uh, you all have a great week. Take care. We'll see you soon. Bye. Podcast Network.